The date is Friday, March 19th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. This week, we're going back in time once again to the days without worry, our childhoods. But you didn't have to be alive during the 1990s to understand that Disney animated films this time were having a bit of a moment. A renaissance of sorts with blockbuster movies like The Little Mermaid, Lion King, and so many more. So hop on the Nostalgia Express with us and enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of Entertain This! Entertain This! As always, I'm one of your intrepid hosts. My name's Alex. My name is Michael. And my name is Nick. Guys, it feels like so long since we've recorded the show, Mm -hmm. though it has just been a standard week. It might be because of the excitement of our brand new network that we've signed to. Oh, wowie, wowie. (laughs) Yeah, we're plugging it again. That way, in case any of you guys skipped the episode last week and didn't hear, we are officially signed on to the Scene Snobs Mm -hmm. Network of podcasts. The the Scene Snobs? (laughs) You nailed that one. Got it in one. Yep, (laughs) we messed it up. That was awesome. (laughs) I talk professionally. Uh, Before we jump to the promotions uh, during the show, we will jump back to uh, do some plugs for the Scene Snobs network of podcasts, the family to which we've joined. But Mm -hmm. that all can wait. We have something else to deal with, men. What's that? Uh, we have an episode yeah. to record, and it's next oh, week to do so. That's why we're here. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, Nick, I hope that I hope that you're prepared, and also stick stick around because later on, Michael will be doing our quick this this week. You got it. Is it? Got is it me flip. or is it you? <laughs> Wait, who is it? Who's doing the quick this? It's me. No, okay, I'm great. doing the episode. Yeah, yeah. Michael's Wait. doing the episode. I'm doing the quick this. Oh shit! You guys want to start all over? Because yeah. I sure would like nope. to. Nope. <laughs> nope. I would love Leave to keep this in. in. <laughs> all right, it's two against one. We're leaving it in. That's my oh, bad. Yeah. Right. I, I got it completely flipped. We had a meeting before this and everything where we talked about who was doing what today, and I just messed it up. Who cares? Anyway, <laughs> thank you guys for listening through our uh, ramblings and incorrect information as always uh we work our hardest to get the right information out to you the quickest that we can uh which this time was about the second time around so i'm Sometimes actually gonna throw it work faster than our mouths yeah that's true especially with me i had a uh i had a choir teacher once who told me that my mouth ran like diarrhea and i hated that teacher but in that moment i was like you know what you know what you got me that's pretty good Okay, so oh, anyway, please. Michael, you can you can take the episode now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna promptly insert my foot in my mouth. So you <laughs> go right, for all it. All right. This week we are gonna talk about something that I'm sure all three of us are very familiar with to some extent. So this week we are talking about Disney. I like that. Yeah. Didn't he? More specifically, we're talking about the period from 1989 to 2000 and... I had it written down. Nine, no, 2001. 2001. Oh, we're talking about... The Disney Renaissance. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. so this is when Mickey Mouse dressed it up in the in the, the fluffy Yeah, it's shirt when he, they and, did the mm-hmm. Three Musketeers with the Donald the Goofy and yep. Mac Mac Mouse. They got the the Black Death a couple times. Is that right? That happened. Yeah, there there was yeah there was there was that uh that old cartoon where uh Mickey Donald and Goofy had to cut a bean where the pieces were so yeah. thin you could see through them. They cut the it would they made a bean sandwich. They cut up a bean mm-hmm. and then they sliced the bread so thin that you could see through it. Disgusting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You hate to yeah. see poverty in action like that, <laughs> especially with your heroes. But anyway, so I wanted to talk specifically about this period because it's the period that we grew up in, right? Right. Like mm-hmm. you think like we're all Disney kids. Like we all grew up on this shit. Disney, uh, yes. Like you can think like <laughs> When you take it to like TV shows, you have like, for me, it was like Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, Disney Channel. Between those three, like, which one were you? I mean, you can probably see for me due to my penchant for liking anime and You're all the weirder cartoons. Boy. I was a cartoon big Cartoon Network, Network boy because they had Toonami. <laughs> That's right. What about you, Nick? Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you think, Nick? I think you were a 60. <laughs> I think you were a 60 minutes guy, to be honest. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't always like this. Okay, I didn't come out of the box like oh. this. I was, a, I was a Nickelodeon kid. Okay, well, I think that yeah. it's only fair that I be a Disney kid because I was. But oh my god! But yeah, so I guess so we have we like. have representation across the board about Disney. And Hold on, wait, 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 because I have something that will just cover up anything that you have to say. Mm-hmm. Decoms. Ooh, drop the mic. Decons? What is that? Decons? No. Decoms? Yes. Disney yeah. Channel original movies. Decoms. Oh yeah. Okay. We're, talking We're talking Smart Luck- House. Oh, there we go. Smart House. Luck We're talking the Brink. We're talking uh, that one where the kid turns into a mermaid. My sixteenth year. Mm-hmm. What's up? My thirteenth year, I think. Yeah, it was thirteenth. Sixteenth was too mm-hmm. was too big. I don't know what my deal was. I just didn't like Disney or Cartoon Network because I felt like their commercials are a little too long. Good. That's why mm. I didn't watch those. Wait, for Disney Channels. Channel? Disney, yeah, it seems like they cut to commercials way too Disney often. Channels, the thing about Disney Channel was it was run by the Disney Corporation, which meant mm-hmm. it didn't actually have sponsors. The Disney Channel throughout our childhood did not advertise for anybody other than Disney and maybe Chuck E. Cheese a couple of times, but that was it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I remember you get like in between the TV shows, you'd get the the commercials that were like eat healthier, where it was like the the actual people, said, the no. little <laughs> actors and actresses uh, who would actually do the commercials. Yeah, I remember and, that. and you'd you'd have the ones where it was like, my name's Alex from Entertain This, and you're watching <laughs> Disney Channel. And they dun, do the thing. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> one of my favorite things is someone did a. Uh, I know exactly video what you're about they, to say replace the actual like logo but they <laughs> with a penis? traced no! out what they actually no. like traced out in the air yeah and it was always oh. just like an absolute like jangle like messed up yeah absolutely oh, awful. absolutely fricked bad at drawing i'll say it that's a hot take <laughs> yeah that's a hot take one that i don't think is uh quite exclusive <laughs> another based on no evidence whatsoever yeah. <laughs> another reason that i like the disney channel over nickelodeon cartoon network was because all of these big names that i think we're going to get to later on they had mm-hmm. like series that were included on the disney channel so you had things like the little mermaid series the hercules mm-hmm. series you had oh, yeah. um and the hercules series took place between that time frame of him being like 
little puny Hercules and being like hero Hercules yeah, to show him like I remember that. you had uh I think this counts, but Cusco's new school. K U Z Z O. Yeah, Cusco, Cusco. I was a big fan of that one. Oh yeah, yeah, we all were. It was it was fantastic. Yeah, I knew from a very young age that the Emperor's New Groove was one of my favorite movies. Oh that yeah, it mostly due to Kronk. Yeah, do your do your Kronk voice for the people at home, and then in return, I can do my Mickey Mouse voice if you'd like. Oh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> See, Michael and I, when we were first becoming friends, one of the things that we bonded over the most was inappropriate uh, Disney voices. Yes. We would make each other laugh for literally hours. No drugs involved. Just us being hilarious. Doing yeah. voices of Disney characters saying the most raunchy things we could think of. We probably won't mm-hmm. do that today. No, probably not the best idea. But we will. we will throw out some examples if that's okay. Yeah, well, here let me let's do let me do the Kronk voice real quick. Okay, I don't I don't remember the exact quote, but this one I've practiced quite a bit. Go ahead. I'm like, <laughs> oh, Cusco's poison, the poison for Cusco, the poison chosen specifically for Cusco, Cusco's poison. That poison. That was so good that we might actually have to take this down for copyright infringement. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna find the it. Disney Corporation may come for us. Oh, years. Yeah, Kronk is easily one of my favorite characters of all time yeah it's just funny yeah for sure man uh but but anyway you guys can have your arguments for your respected channels if you want but that's my argument for disney (laughs) i was just into weird shit like for me it was all about like dragon ball z like dragon ball z gundam uh courage the cowardly dog god uh, ed ed and eddie codename kids next door yep it was really kind uh, of the darker place. Like <laughs> Cartoon Network was mm-hmm. where cartoons went when Disney said, you know what? You're a bit too much for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's some bizarre episodes on both of those. Courage, Cowardly Dog. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> there's. Oh, there's the one that always gets me like, is uh, the slob. Return the slob. <laughs> Return the slob. <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares. Thanks, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So let's let's kind of get off this TV wait, show. Wait, 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 wait. We gotta we gotta let Nick say his piece oh, about yeah, Nickelodeon. Yeah. Uh, oh, Nickelodeon. Yeah. Uh, I just like the shows that were on there. All right. Like those are right, classics. Well. <laughs> and also, like like I mentioned before, all the commercials. You liked the commercials like, on Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. I didn't like commercials. Nickelodeon was the place where you got all the ass seen on TV commercials. They're yeah. like moo juice, moo juice, kid power anti gravity shoes. That was listen. That was cool <laughs> shit. I wanted moon shoes. I never got them. My cousin had moon shoes. They were shit. I had moon (laughs) shoes and I walked down the stairs in them and almost broke my ankle. (laughs) (laughs) And they had moon sand. Remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. All those uh, air hogs. The RC yeah. Uh, airplanes. Yeah, see, whatever. you're like, I don't like commercials. But then you remember like every commercial from Nickelodeon. Yeah, the thing is that like, they advertise cereal, which is something that I really mm. liked as a kid. I still like cereal. They did a lot of... What else did? Oh well, Disney had Danimals because Dylan and Cole Sprouse were the yep. uh, were the sponsors of it. But they had the like good. Fruit by the Foot and Airheads were big on Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. All of yeah. this also applies to Cartoon Network. Is Cartoon Network? They just like whoever wants to advertise on our, on our channel, just please give us money. <laughs> all right, I have one more antidote, and then we can start talking about Disney Renaissance for real. All right, all but, right, please. Yes. So, when do you guys remember the Worldwide Day of Play on Nickelodeon? Yes, it was Maybe, when yes. it was when Nickelodeon was like, we're still going to charge you for cable, but we're not going to play anything for four hours because we're going to inspire yep. you to go outside and play. 
You know what I did? <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> Just play video games and stay inside. Right. Yep. I remember I went up to my grandpa at the time because I was so confused. I was like, Nickelodeon's not working. <laughs> I was like, I turned on Nickelodeon. All I got was like this warning screen that said Worldwide Day of Play. <laughs> what does that mean? He, he called his cable company and was like... He either, okay, one of two things happened. And as an adult, I recognize that it's one of these two. Either he called the, he either called Nickelodeon and complained, or he Mm -hmm. pretended to call Nickelodeon and complain. But either way, (laughs) he said, and I quote, I pay for this channel. I want shows on it. And when you turn it back on, my grandchild would like to see SpongeBob. That's what he said. (laughs) And I thought it was incredible that when it finally did come back on, a SpongeBob marathon played. I later found out Mm -hmm. that was pre-planned. So I don't know how much of it was real, (laughs) but it was a very magical day. Right, right. I don't know who he knew. All right. So let's let's hop back on to the Disney Renaissance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so Disney train, if you will, let's let's quickly just go through some of the movies that Disney has released throughout the years. And just to get an idea of like how many hits Disney got like in a row. So let's go all the way back to the one that started it all. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen it recently. Still a banger. Mm. <laughs> we got Pinocchio, <laughs> a banger. Snow White Dumbo, and the Seven Dwarfs, a banger. Pinocchio, a banger. Dumbo, a banger. Bambi, banger. Well, sorry, famous mom. No, they banged her all right. With like a shotgun. Hold on. (laughs) We're not at Beauty and the Beast. We ain't talking bestiality yet. Mm -mm. Uh, Cinderella, banger. Alice in Wonderland, banger. Lady and the Tramp, banger. Sleeping Beauty, say it with me now. Banger. I was going to say that. Neither of you said it with me. I didn't want to. It's it's one of those things where it's the word where you say it over and over again and then it starts to like lose its meaning and sound weird. That's what bangers do it for me right now. Fun fact, (laughs) that's called uh, semantic satiation. I looked it up once. Thank Mm. you. Next. Okay, please continue. (laughs) Yeah, so even just those movies leading up to Sleeping in the Beauty, that happened Sleeping in the Beauty of only 20 years. So in 20 years, they released about like 14 bangers. That's impressive. Track record. Yeah. Yeah. How many That's years real again? Impressive. Uh, over 20 years, they released about. Let's see. Let me count real quick. We got one. Wait, no. One, one. So see, he's going back to one, the beginning two, of time. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten bangers in 20 years. This episode of Entertain This brought to you by The Count. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> one. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> two. Ten bangers. Yeah. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> So the the thing that's crazy, too, is that they continued on that pace all the way up into the 80s. Mm. So like that's 40 years of just grinding insane movies that were winning award after award after award. I thought that Little Mermaid was in the 90s. Little Mermaid actually came out in 89. What? Really? When did Beauty and the Beast come out? Beauty and the Beast. 92. 91. 91. Okay. And so we're going to get there. Like, so we, we, we talk a lot about like, we can look back to the sixties of how just impressive it is that Disney is still relevant, more relevant than ever. Mm -hmm. And just continued on this pace of just incredible movie after incredible movie after incredible movie. Right. But one of the things that we don't really ever talk about in that we don't really remember 
is that from about 1973 to the release of The Little Mermaid in 1989, it was about a 16-year period where Disney didn't really release anything of note. Um, which, like, if you were put that into the context uh, that we just laid out before, in the first 20 years, they released 10 incredible movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So very off-kilter for them. Well, so this was kind of spurned on by... Um, a lot of things in the background that was happening at Disney studios. Uh, this kind of came off the back of people who had like the lead animators from all of these incredible movies over the last like 15, 20 years before this, who left Disney to go start their own productions. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the biggest note is a guy named Don Bluth. Have you guys ever heard of him? I don't know why, but I think I'm pretty sure I have. I don't think so. So, Don Bluth, uh, as far as like the biggest movies that he went on to go create were like The Secret of Nim, Ooh. The Land Before Time. I am I am familiar All with Dogs this work. Go to Heaven, Thumbelina. Talk about a freaking mm. heartbreaking movie. <laughs> All of them are. The other, the biggest one for me that I kind of grew up watching was Anastasia. Mm, uh, Anastasia was a really good one. Yeah, and I had two younger sisters, so at the time I was like, I don't want to watch it. It's got a girl in it. <laughs> it's got a princess in but it. But it's yeah, like and based the, off of real events, which is crazy. Like historical yeah. events. Yeah, it's that, insane. That one's such in Russia, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and then like the other thing that made Don Blue famous too was that he made uh, video games that used his animation. Did one he the make The Legend of like, Zelda ones? No, he made Dragon's Lair. Oh. So if you watched uh, Stranger Things Season 2, the game they're all playing at the beginning at the arcade, Mm -hmm. that's Dragon's Lair. Ooh. Yeah. And so, like, the big thing with that game was that it had just incredible, incredible animations that was very reminiscent of that, like, uh, the Jungle Book or, like, Robin Hood style. Mm -hmm. But was a little bit more risque, uh, considering that you would see the main character be disintegrated into a skeleton. Yes, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But yeah, so you had all these very key figures who were kind of the backbone of Disney for a while, just leave the company to go do their own thing and end up going into spots to directly compete with Disney. And um, not to say that like any of the movies that were released in this period were necessarily bad, but they definitely weren't the best work, mm-hmm. like especially if we're talking only the animation, the fully animated movies, because like that was when they released like uh, Pete's Dragon or I um, liked Pete's Dragon. I like it, too, but it's not a fully <laughs> featured animated film. It's Never not. It. You're right. And it definitely didn't receive any awards like how Sleeping Beauty mm-hmm. and Cinderella and all those movies did. Um, And then so Disney kind of hit this wall at this period of time where they need, they knew that something needed to change. And so what they did was, is they reached out to uh, two men. It is Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. These two guys are famous for writing uh, the lyrics, the story and all the music for little shop of horrors. Mm-hmm. We talked hey. about little shop. Um, we did <laughs> a, a little bit ago in our Halloween episode where we talked about spookiness on stage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so like, I personally have never seen little shop of horrors, either the show or the movie. Uh, 
even though like at one point, Alex, you almost convinced me to <laughs> try out for a local showing here in I Cincinnati. I don't remember that, but that sounds like some shit I'd do. <laughs> <laughs> Alex almost entertained it. Yeah, I was I was in Little Shop in, oh, in high it. school. Sorry. I played the titular <laughs> character of Seymour Krellborn, the guy who raises the plant. Which I could see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it, that. it yeah. I didn't wear glasses <laughs> back bill. then, but now I do, so I definitely fit in now. <laughs> yeah, he, he was played he was played by oh, what's the guy's name in the movie? Um uh, Honey I Shrunk uh, the Kids. Uh, yep. Spaceballs. Um Ghostbusters. I keep, I keep wanting to say Steve Buscemi, but no. I know that's not it. <laughs> no, not him. <laughs> I want to say it's like Ralph. I, but it's no, Ralph. I'm Googling it or else we're going to get torn apart. Yeah. Just just say a whole bunch of incorrect things and then eventually yeah. somebody will come on and be like. He's, he's the guy who like just last year or two years ago got like was walking down the street in New York City and some random guy like decked him in Rick the face. Moranis. That's his it's name. Rick Moranis. Yep. Bing. You got there it you without go. the Google, but I, yeah, it's Rick Moranis. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and so that won award after award after award uh, for its production and music. And mm-hmm. what uh, Disney wanted to do is they wanted to capture that in the music that they were going to be releasing. But they wanted it to fit into their catalog of all their most popular movies from before that. And so they specifically tasked, tasked these two with trying to find a style that could do that. And for them, they used what they knew best. That was musical theater. And Mm. they ended up creating specifically, more specifically Howard Ashman than Alan Menken. Alan Menken had a huge part in it in developing the music, but uh, Howard Ashman specifically had, uh, was the one who was like the most adamant about this needs to fit into like a musical theater production. Uh, And we'll talk about an example of that later on. So, but they set the blueprint for Disney movies moving forward. Even still to this day, uh, Disney uses a lot of the same principles and themes that these two used back then. And they were tasked with developing and writing music for a production that Disney had been working on for since 1930 uh, that was now known as The Little Mermaid, which kicked really? off the Disney Renaissance. And so they uh, like the biggest things that they really wanted to pull into uh, from musical theater was a lot of the songs around how you would uh, get people to relate to the characters. So one of the big ones was the um, the I want song. Now, Alex, you might know what this is, but an I want song is a song that is sung by the protagonist that uh, describes the uh, what they want to get out of life. So like in the case of The Little Mermaid, that is that Ariel wants to become, she wants to go where the people are. She wants to be on land with everyone else. Hmm. And in, in the past, it used to basically be like music would be an accessory, but now it is the actual character singing these songs, which helps you as a viewer relate directly to what they want. On top of that, they also introduced the uh, I Am song. The I Am song comes from the antagonist, so the evil person. Uh, So like as, again, using Little Mermaid as an example, poor unfortunate souls. That fits (laughs) into that scheme. And what what this song is supposed to do is it's supposed to help you 
not just like get the feeling of like this person's evil versus like as an example, like the uh, I can't remember her name, but the uh, queen in uh, Snow White, the one who transforms in like the old witch and delivers the apple. She is instead of like instead of her being like this dark and evil looking person who's just menacing around, you know how evil they are because of both those physical features and what they're saying and doing and how they're expressing it through music. And the whole idea is that behind musical theater is, is that you're not just acting out your emotions and feelings, your emotions and feelings are feel you feel them so much that you have to sing them. And once your emotions and feelings are so, so much stronger than even just singing can do, you break out into dance. And that's how it all comes together. And that's how you your mind actually interprets it of you feeling these emotions so much more because it's being done through song and dance. So that's not exclusive to um, the Disney Renaissance. That's like a thing that mm-hmm. uh, all musicals kind of follow with with my one and a half years of a musical theater degree. <laughs> uh, I, I will provide you with a couple examples. One of them in more recent times and a movie adaptation is coming soon is Dear Evan Hansen. Um, mm. There is the song uh, Waving Through a Window, which is sung by the titular character Evan Hansen, where he talks about like how he is this guy who basically just wants people, wants like friends and he feels like he's stuck on the inside he actually sings both the i want and the i am song Mm -hmm. because he sings like the i like i am stuck on the inside like i just am like waving through a window people aren't paying attention to me but then later on he sings a song where he talks about all he wants is for people to be there for him and like for him to have a friend and it does play out he is both the protagonist and the antagonist of the show so yeah. he does get both songs somehow. Um, another yeah. one that may come out of left field for you guys is the Trey Parker and Matt Stone musical Book of Mormon. Oh, yeah. Also follows <laughs> the same Alan Menken uh, formula of songwriting where they have the um, song Hello, which is like ding dong. Hello. My name is mm-hmm. Elder, whatever. Um, <laughs> and that's the the um, I am song. But the I want song is uh where he's talking about how Orlando. he yeah Orlando exactly yeah wants to go to Orlando <laughs> and that's like the place he wants to be and again it follows yeah. that exact same pattern interesting yeah because if you think about it the elders who send him to Africa are technically the antagonists in that film, or in that production that is true if you don't think <laughs> don't that know. he's the antagonist because he is not a likable character at all no not Elder at all Price <laughs> is not a likable character but that sets it up to be an incredible show. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. And so it's it's just a very interesting idea that none of these concepts were ever really thrown into an animated movie before, which thinking back on it makes so much sense. Like the whole idea is that you are trying to place yourself in the same world and setting as these characters. Well, what helps you do that is having a world and characters that you don't perceive as being like real life. Right. So you can suspend your belief much easier. So that way, in like something like the goofy movie, when they're like riding down the road on the way out onto the vacation, you got open road. (laughs) Yep, exactly. (laughs) There's people playing organs in the back of a pickup truck in a full 
church choir singing mm-hmm. along the road. But then later on, you've got Goofy actually humming the song as if that actually happened. Because it was happening, but only <laughs> in it his was. head. Yeah. It's cartoons. You gotta, yeah, gotta cut them all the slack there. I mean, it's, yeah, it's no, more than cutting them slack. I mean, it basically explains itself that, like, this isn't actually happening. This is just Goofy's imagination kind of taking over on this car ride. He's, uh, well, he's but then the off. thing is, is that he's humming it, which makes you think it actually happened because you've got Max singing along with it. Mm-hmm. You've got like recognition of some of the stuff that happens during that product, that whole thing. Right. And part of me like thinks of like the Goofy movie is like the epitome of an incredible Disney movie because oh like it does some insane we could, stuff. We could do an entire episode on the Disney or the 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 Goofy sequel and original they are some of yeah. the, the best that Disney's ever made somehow. Yeah, no, like the Goofy movie is like specifically made funnily enough to be just a full nostalgia bomb into like the mid to late 90s. And it's so much fun. The funny thing about mm-hmm. the Goofy movie is it did something that no animated Disney movie had done before. And I would argue next to The Incredibles has done since. And it made dysfunctional family normal. Not only that, it put it in a world where everything's supposed to be perfect. And yeah. it's so humanizing and like down to earth, like strangely coming from like the goof of the group, like the guy who makes mistakes, the one who you're not supposed to take seriously. He has these heartbreaking right. moments about like watching his son grow up and losing someone he's close to after the death of his wife, like mm-hmm. and the the like mental struggles that he deals with and trying to like let go of of uh, Max but still having fear of detachment because of that loss that he suffered. Like, it's crazy that it's a goofy fucking movie. Right. Yeah, no, because, like, it's it's really crazy, too, to think, like, the movie specifically follows Max. And, like, if you follow the same structure of these other Disney movies and theatrical productions, it's Max starts off the movie with... Uh, the in the intro song also pairs as the I am or the I want song. And then he does the impression of Powerline as a school prank Mm -hmm. that doubles as a I want song Mm -hmm. because he wants to be as cool as Powerline. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then you have Goofy where Goofy's actually the antagonist in the film (laughs) because Goofy, the whole the whole theme is that Max doesn't want to grow up and be a goof. He doesn't want to be Mm. like his dad. He has a dream at the beginning where his two front teeth grow out. His feet get really big. His hands get huge. (laughs) And his crush laughs at him. Yep. And the entire movie is basically Goofy trying to force Max to become a goof through being like trying to connect with him. Mm -hmm. And so he forces him to go on this road trip with him. He forces him to go fishing uh, using the perfect cast because... That's what uh, his dad did for him. And that's what his dad's dad did for him. And just on and on and on. It was a goof tradition. There was like a very serious moment in a goofy movie where Goofy is scolding Max. And he's like, you're going to do it because I said so. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And that came after the reason why he did that, too, is because that came after him and Pete have that conversation in the hot tub Mm -hmm. where I th- where Goofy says, I just want my son to love me. And mm. Pete says, well, yeah, your son might love you, but my son respects me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Pete's real. the real antagonist in every Disney movie. You can't change my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. No, yeah. You're just opening up all these, like, you're opening my eyes today. 
Because I had no idea that there was like a formula to this, to musical theater in the first place. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I Honestly, I really didn't either until I saw all this information about the like these movies in particular. Because I knew I wanted to talk about this like magical time where it felt like I had movie after movie after movie that I could go to and watch back to back to back to back and never get tired of them. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. so much of my childhood revolved around these films along with like their music. Like one of the one of the go to's for my family in our uh, in our old like dark green uh, minivan was we had a boxed <laughs> set of Disney CDs from that was all just like music from the movies that we would play on repeat and repeat and repeat just over and over and over again. So these How did songs, parents deal with that. Like real question. No, my parents <laughs> wanted to listen to them because they love the movies too. <laughs> but over and over and over again, I yeah. love my shit. Oh, I'm dude, sorry. they no, 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 no. Because you can get away with it because they were like eight boxes and each box had like four CDs, each with like 16 songs on them. Oh, so you just rotate them out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And okay. That's a little every tolerable. single one just like had such good music. Bangers, um, right? Oh, bangers. Yeah. Banger after banger after banger after, after banger, banger after banger after, after banger. After banger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, guys, pause, pause the podcast real quick and just take a moment to say banger maybe 10, 20 times. Just see how it feels. Yeah. See where your brain's at after you've said it 20 times because it's not going to feel good. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I like, I'm just making after, sounds. What am I doing? After I got through like, the jungle book i think i was like oh my god (laughs) i've said this way too many times jungle book um yeah i originally meant for that to be a bit and well (laughs) if i'd have known that we could have been like this is a visual bit i'm sorry people who are listening uh banger banger (laughs) banger 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 (laughs) could just flashed it yeah oh but anyways let's get back to the little mermaid Mm -hmm. so one of the really key uh, moments in the production was when they were writing and making the song, um, uh, the I the I want song, the I want to go where the people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name of that song I can't remember for some reason, even though part it's of your world somewhere on this part of your world. There you go. <laughs> so at some point during that production, um, Alan Menken wanted to uh, essentially get rid of the song. Uh, he wanted to remove a lot of the parts where Ariel uh, talks about how she's feeling and talks about what she wants out of the world because the song didn't do well with kids. Um, and because of that, Alan Macon, along with a few other Disney executives, were like, hey, we need to cut this song. We can just have her talk through it real quick. Kids are getting like antsy and wanting to like leave while the song is going on because it's boring. And uh, instead, uh, Howard Ashman said, no, he put his foot down. We are keeping this song. This is the most important song in the movie, Mm -hmm. because the whole point is, if you don't have an I want song, you essentially don't. You might as well not have a protagonist, right? Because you're essentially removing the way that the audience is supposed to relate to the main character, Mm -hmm. which gives the, the movie its entire gravitas. Because otherwise, I wouldn't care. Like, yeah, just it's like I don't, the screen. Why should I care about you? I don't yeah. care. You want stuff? Then you end up caring more <laughs> about the like the crab or uh, mm-hmm. Ursula because they're funny. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. funny characters on the screen. 
And I mean, but, in in mo- in most movies too, if you have an "I Am" song but no "I Want" song, mm-hmm. then people those are usually the movies where people love the the antagonist much more than they love the protagonist. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Helps it's to funny about the character a little more. Yeah, it's almost like there's a one to one correlation with just how important these songs are. <laughs> so I tried to write a musical once. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did it go well? Here's what I'll say: is unconsciously I wrote an "I Want" and an "I Am" song into it i was just thinking back on it um i'm not gonna give up too many details but i for sure definitely accidentally followed this scheme before i even knew it existed which is crazy yeah it's so deep rooted in it absolutely not i never finished it (laughs) okay well could you no the this podcast is the furthest i've gotten on a project (laughs) (laughs) because you're never done that's right Mm -mm. (laughs) but yeah it's and it's crazy to see like just how much this blueprint influenced the next few Disney movies. So something really unfortunate happened halfway through the production of The Little Mermaid. Howard Ashman got diagnosed with AIDS halfway through. Big problem in the 90s. Yeah, very large problem. And it wasn't until after the, um, the Academy Awards that he let Alan Menken know and he let the Disney executives know. And because of the success of The Little Mermaid, Disney wrote ha- uh, Howard Ashman a blank check saying, like, here you go. Make the next movie. Do whatever you need to do. Like to the point of where normally all of the production would be happening in California. They sent all of the production to New York so that Ashman wouldn't have to leave his home office. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so basically, they just rallied around him and set him up as the main guy. That is and incredible, but also very sad that when you think Disney songs, you think Alan Menken and not Ashman. Yeah. And that's specifically because he was around longer, mm-hmm. even though Ashman really was the backbone. Um, but yeah, and then so the next production they went on to to make was Beauty and the Beast, which mm, is film. an incredible work especially when you look at it through the lens of musical theater that they messed up in live action but that's fine mm-hmm. yeah that's more of a problem of the director and producers behind that movie we're than not gonna actual, talk about that yeah oh, it was bad can we can we just stop for a minute that's the the live action version was my Watson. first date first date with natalie was it Aww. first official date you know, we saw the live action breed and the beast i've known you for maybe three to four years now i think it's like three and a half and this is like the closest we've gotten to the you and natalie meeting story yeah it really <laughs> is you'll get it someday someday <laughs> if you guys are good <laughs> well hey we've got a good starting point we've start. we're now at the first date we can work our way back right yep there you go <laughs> <laughs> but so some of the really notable things about this movie, the introduction song, which is the this provincial uh, life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that serves as an introduction to the world and the characters in the world, because it's her singing and interacting with the different members of her small like French village while her also singing about how she wants so much more than this. But she doesn't also- want to be. A housewife. She doesn't want to be a caretaker. She wants to go live her own life and have adventure. It's also the yeah. I am song because the entire village is like, this is how we live our life and we're really happy and this chick's weird and we don't like her. Yep. <laughs> Especially with Gaston. Yeah. Because Gaston <laughs> makes an appearance and it's basically him just saying like, 
hey, I'm Gaston. All this thing that you're like singing about that you don't want to be and you don't want to do. I'm going to make you do that. Yeah. And it doesn't help that like <laughs> immediately followed. There is the true I am song, which is Gaston, where he's like, this yep. is what I am. I'm a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me. I like yeah. Gaston, I mean, though. he's a good meme. Good Gaston meme. basically got two I am songs in that film and people love Gaston. Yeah. Yeah. It's they love meme. his character. I mean, it helps that get the, the song Gaston is incredible. Mm-hmm. No one forks <laughs> yeah, like Gaston. No one forks like Gaston. <laughs> no one. <laughs> no. That's, I think that's all we can say or else we're going to get copyright striked. <laughs> copyright strike. No again. one yep. copy strikes like Gaston. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, but yeah. And what a guy. So. <laughs> In the middle of this production, unfortunately, Ashman passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Disney, after and then the subsequent subsequent success of Beauty and the Beast, basically told Disney, "Here's your cash cow. Keep doing this shit. Yeah, crank them yeah. out. Let's oh, go. Yeah. We got money to print. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And so we ended up getting this stretch of like 10, 15 years where." It felt like nearly every single year Disney was putting out an incredible movie. That was like Lion King and Aladdin and all of those, right? Lion King, Aladdin, Mm -hmm. uh, that was Tarzan. That was um, it helped that Pixar got its start in this time period, too. Mm -hmm. So like we had Toy Story as well, but that doesn't fit into like the musical theater mold. Nope. It's just theater. It's good stuff, but it's not musical. (laughs) Uh, let's see, Aladdin, you Lion King. Uh, hey, a Goofy movie, Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. A Goofy uh, movie um, was different. I feel like it, it didn't follow the same formula. No, it it one hundred percent followed the same formula, just taking the the weirder characters and setting of the the Disney animated universe. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, but it's crazy to think that like uh, a Goofy movie and Pocahontas. Those were released within like a month of each other. <laughs> That's yeah, very strange. Like every single one of those movies you just list, listed off, I've I have seen almost all of them, mm-hmm. but I've definitely heard of all of them. Oh yeah. So like, that's a big deal. If you guys know yeah. anything about me, it's like I don't <laughs> I don't know too much about entertainment. Yet I'm on an <laughs> entertainment podcast, so figure that one out. But when you say <laughs> movies like that, I'm like. Okay, check, 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 check. I never do that. Yeah, no, it's everybody has seen these movies, especially from our our generation. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, like I said at the beginning, we were raised on this stuff. Like, yeah, I remember, so. I remember growing up and constant and having all these movies on VHS in like a closet in my parents' house, and just like having entire days where I had to switch out which VHS was in the. Uh, was in the VHS player. Did and you at least rewind? Did you at least rewind? No. Okay. <laughs> no. I was like eight. I never did that. Be kind. Rewind. Yeah. I know. I had to get to the next movie faster. I didn't have time. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I remember like the, you remember the before movie scenes where it was like coming this fall of 1999. Oh, yeah. yeah and then at the beginning, do you get that like blue screen with like the FBI warning? Yep. It's like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know I was breaking the law here. <laughs> you wouldn't oh, steal God. a car. <laughs> oh, but I would. Would you steal from your mom's purse? 
(laughs) (laughs) If it didn't have any effect on her, maybe. Yeah, if it was her car key so I could steal that car. Yeah. It's like (laughs) those commercials I never got because like especially thinking back on it, it's like you wouldn't steal a car. It's like, well, that's not not. that's not what pirating is. Pirating is (laughs) taking a copy of that car and I wouldn't taking that. That's not pirating. So the person still gets to keep their car. That's not how pirating works. You don't steal cars, you steal boats, idiot. Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yar har. When's Talk Like a Pirate Day? We should do a special episode then. I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. thoughts from Nick. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just absolutely crazy. Like I was I was doing research and like looking up the the different songs and everything that fit these different molds. Um, and it's just absolutely insane. Like how many of these are like the favorite Disney songs that I remember singing almost every day growing up. <laughs> you can't be guest on. I still sing it to this day. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, the Disney Renaissance did come to an end. And this came in the form of the movie Tarzan, which Tarzan is such a good movie, but it does so much to break from the the blueprint that Howard Ashman originally set. Um, the biggest being that none of the characters actually sing their songs. So, and that's because the main thing that this movie wanted to kind of market with its music was the fact that Phil Collins did the music. And so they had Phil Collins actually sing the songs. And so instead of like an, I want song or like, or no, instead of like an intro song, you have Phil Collins singing about uh, two worlds and one family. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of like an I want song or like an I am song. No, wait, did I get those confused? I don't remember. Uh, instead of an I am song, we never really get one. Uh, mm. And nobody actually remembers the villain from that film. Which, like, I don't even know his name. I think it was like Colin or something. I don't know. <laughs> was Was he like the guy that's kind of in a khaki? Yeah, he's got like the yellow shirt, carries around yeah. the musket. Uh, yeah, he's a poacher no or something. His name. No, he's like a he's like a British invader or something like that. That's no like one the, cares the about him. Meaning. I don't. No, <laughs> never. The only time I've ever thought about him outside of like the movie Tarzan was when I had to fight him in Kingdom Hearts, and I remember his in, his invisible heartless that he rode around on. I could never under my tiny child brain couldn't understand the fact that it was invisible, and so I thought my game was bugged, and that, so I stopped that's, playing it. That's a title. That's a topic for another episode, I think. Oh, yeah. I play Kingdom Hearts games. Those are good. Oh, my gosh. I would love to talk with you all about Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Come to think of it, um, perhaps Tarzan was the strangest Genesis album of them all. <laughs> That's truth. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> there you go, Phil. But so, so it it's definitely, it's like a direct correlation to the amount of success that Disney had during this 10, 15 year period and the just kind of immediate fall off that it had after Tarzan. There were still fantastic movies and still great movies, but none that hit quite as hard as that series of movies from the little mermaid to Tarzan. Um, yeah. Can almost be argued that like Disney got way too much money. Oh yeah. <laughs> towards the tail end of the nineties. And they were just like, 
well, you know the story. Like, you get rich, you start, you know, yeah. spending all your money on stuff that you really don't need, which is great for the economy, by the way. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> but Disney, <laughs> Disney says, well, we're making all this money. Why don't we get some big name actors in the mix, you know? Mm-hmm. Why don't we hire Phil Collins to do the the musical numbers for this? Why don't we hire Robin Williams to do Aladdin Genie, you know? To be fair. Make, actually accept money. To be fair, Genie was like basically, I think it actually was written for him. Oh, okay. Like it was a role that was specifically written for Robin Williams. Yeah. And he didn't take any money, correct? No, he took money. Of no. course he took money. Yeah, he did. He, he did, money, but, but he didn't. The, the big thing for him taking that role was he didn't want to get the main billing. Like he didn't want to be like the reason why people went and saw the movie. Didn't I do a quick so this on this? Why, yes, you did. Yeah, well, that's why I remember right. it. <laughs> yeah, no. For, so he he basically was like, yeah, I'll be in it. Um, but and and the way that they got him was they um, they took one of his stand ups that he did and they animated the genie doing that stand up mm-hmm. and they showed it to him and he thought it was hilarious. So he agreed to do it. But he said that he didn't want his name big on the marquee. He didn't want to be the selling point. He didn't want his character to take up like more than like one third of the poster or something. Cause there were three main characters. Yep. Um, and Disney found ways around everything he asked for. And basically was like, <laughs> Hey, go fuck yourself. And they tried to apologize by giving him a van. It was either of, I think it was, it wasn't a van Gogh. It was, uh, what's the, what's the Cuban artist's name? Picasso. Pablo Picasso. Yeah. They gave mm-hmm. him a, he was in Cuban, but whatever. Yeah. Spanish. Spanish. Close, but no cigar. No Cuban cigar. Excellent. We made it. It was all a goof. We were setting it up the whole time. God damn it. Um, I'm sorry. Continue. But yeah, they they offered him a Picasso and they were like, we're sorry. And, uh, you know, it didn't work. He yeah. was still mad at him until like they gave him an actual apology. But because all of that, yeah, he basically that's... was like, fuck you guys. Yeah, because like <laughs> they done. even made like a sequel without a movie and he without a and he wouldn't do the voice for Genie in Kingdom Hearts either. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to get an impersonator. It's a pretty famous uh, impersonator, too, from what I remember. Yeah, I think so. As far as I know, I don't, I don't know. I didn't look too hard into it. <laughs> Tell us in the comments. <laughs> I can look it up. We have Google. Yeah. This is a podcast. Uh, they, they're probably driving or something. Are you guys driving? Stop driving. What's driving? Yeah. Driving. Pull over. Guys, pull over and Google it if you're going to. Mm-hmm. Be safe out there. But so. Oh, yeah. It was uh, Dan Cast Castan Cast. Oh, no. Voice of Homer Simpson. Casten Stellanetta. Casten. Fuck it. Next. That the guy. <laughs> the guy who does the voice of Homer Simpson. Guy, also. It was. <laughs> yes. It was Homer Simpson. Did the voice. Yep. Go. <laughs> uh, but so what? So we have uh, from from Aladdin, actually, like. That actually features the last song that Howard Ashman ever wrote. Really? And really? Yeah. It actually was for Friend Like Me. He wrote Friend Like Me. Yeah. Which he is never like. Had a friend like me. How did he One write of it? The, if he, went, he was gone. Well, so they were already working on They were Aladdin. planning they ahead. Were, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he knew that he was, I think, actually, from what I remember reading, I didn't write this down, so it might be wrong. But from what I was reading, I think he was the one who originally came up with the idea for Aladdin. Well, Arabian um, Nights came up with it, but yeah. Well, to do a musical <laughs> production of it. Right. <laughs> um, and so his big song that he used as a pitch for it was for the genie and for Friend Like Me. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. And then obviously Robin Williams came in and took and put his own spin on it. Absolutely killed it's what he did. Incredible job. Yeah. Oh yeah. We never had friend, never had friend. <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. Keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I know. You never had a friend like me. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know if I'm more scared that we're talking about Disney or that we're we've talked about the big game. I don't know which lawyers are gonna find us first, but it's a race at this point. Well, considering one, you won't even say the name of it. I'm gonna take that, <laughs> is that one. That a You're John Mulaney of. reference that you just hit me with? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the say one that we're not name. saying the name of is the worst between the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> if you won't even say one of the options, that's the worst one. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. the uh, you know the large uh, football thing. That yeah, happens over here. We don't need to talk about that. We're talking about Disney right now. I'm trying to. Disney has nothing to do with anything uh, mm-hmm. involving football, except for the Disney Bowl. Mm-hmm. That's or the I want to go to Disney World. Yeah, that's that's like their big Super Bowl contribution. There we go. Mm-hmm. There's yep. a callback. You said it, Alex. Oh, oh. <laughs> Flip it. Can we Flip get it. sued by two entities within the same podcast? Oh, that would be a record. Guys, we just joined this network and we're already going to get sued by two major corporations. It's fine. You're allowed. I allowed one in the Super Bowl. God damn it. Oh, that's two. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get that out. Oh my god! You had one reference. That's all I. You said. You said I'm gonna have to cut that out. So that's just gonna be one for the people who watch our show. Yeah. I'm gonna gonna cut out the the word. There you go. The blooper bowl. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I wanted to take everything that we've kind of talked about and this blueprint that Howard Ashton kind of set out and talk about how it's made its way back. We are now seeing how it's influencing all these newer, more modern Disney movies. Right. So with things like Frozen and Moana, Rapunzel. The Princess um, of the Frog was a big one. Princess and the Frog, yep. And okay. how universal musical theater, music theater is. Like it was something that I really didn't pay attention to for up until like the last three years. Lucky when, you, my friend. Yeah, when you, your, like you, my girlfriend Jade, and all of our friends are basically like, "Hey, this Hamilton show's really good. You should listen to that." Hey, have you Hamilton's listened okay. to "Be More Chill"? Yeah, it's pretty good. Have you try to be more chill. <laughs> yep. <laughs> is that is that the song that goes? It's from Japan. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, you I peaked love that your one. mic for fucking sure. <laughs> no, it's I made sure to scoot away. <laughs> but it's Guys, it's one can of we those do things. A podcast episode, the musical. I doubt it's oh, ever I, been done. Hey, there's that musical a you musical can write, podcast? Alex. Fuck. Yep. Now you have to. I didn't. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, you shouldn't have brought that up on the podcast because now it's public record. If you guys want that, <laughs> let us know and I'll write a musical <laughs> podcast. Give us a like and subscribe. Yeah, we Make all sure get hit high. that bell. Well, one of us has <laughs> to be the bad guy, unfortunately, Nick. It's probably going to be you. That's fair. I always am. You're the quiet, intelligent <laughs> one. So it's always me. Damn it. <laughs> I can definitely see you going like full on uh, father from Hunchback of Notre Dame, whatever, isn't it? Count Frollo. Ooh. <laughs> like just playing into that <laughs> just hopefully hopefully thing. a lot less racist okay well <laughs> you can only hope right yeah <laughs> um but yeah so like i don't know i didn't really have anything solid to end this on besides like just looking at the movies that we're getting today uh and 
seeing that this blueprint is still alive and well. Yeah. Howard Ashman was truly ahead of his time in setting up the the world of animated films and plenty of real life films that we see day in and day out. Uh, the, all of the most popular things that have permeated into pop culture, especially from Disney, all come from this blueprint that Howard Ashman essentially created. This is a Howard and Ashman appreciation podcast. Basically, basically okay. the guy, yeah. the guy in two movies and one song uh, established the entirety of like animated musicals that we have seen over the last 30 years, which is Let just insane. Ask a question to kind of maybe put a bow on it and all right, go ahead. some deeper thought. Like why out of all the films ever in the history of ever, why did Disney knock it out of the park with just doing musical theater on the screen? Why do you think that is? Oh, because we can relate to it so much easier. Uh, I think that it's because it was the first time that musical theater was aimed towards kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, and think about it this way too. Think about it this way too. When was the last time that you had like a few lines from a movie be like stuck in your head? Uh, probably today. Last last night I watched Year One for the first time, and there's some lines that I'm still stuck (laughs) with. So, like, besides like like small itty bitty quotes, but like, how often do you get a song stuck in your head? Oh yeah, all the damn. I see the point that you're making for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you, like for me, like when my brain is in like idle mode, uh, like I am constantly going through different songs in my head, and for the last like week, it's all been like you'll be in my heart <laughs> mm. <laughs> and it's all been like all the different Disney movies. And it's, it's, it's that almost like viral, uh, sense into like a person's subconscious that musical theater can get into along with the fact that it helps you just relate. So, and feel what the, the actual characters are feeling so much easier than through like dialogue. Yeah. I've had yeah. eye to eye stuck in my head for the last five years. So, Mm. <laughs> interesting it's just the way it is that's well mm-hmm. put michael thank you thank you for oh enlightening God. me because I, I was thinking like surely somebody has done this before right somebody has made a movies that were just aimed at kids and then we grew up with them and then everybody knows them all of a sudden but disney takes the cake i mean really yeah. do. think about it this way this was like the first time that musical theater was aimed towards kids with the backing of a large corporation that could monopolize and advertise the absolute shit out of it because yep disney makes a lot of money off its movies but it makes way more money off of merchandise that's why that's why during the sony spider-man split when sony was like we want all the merchandise money and you can have all the box office money disney was like hey what if you got five percent of the merchandise and also (laughs) go fuck yourself like that was a huge ask because that's the cash cow that they're pumping is that we will continue to buy Disney merchandise because it becomes part of our characters. Like our our, our character trait. The movies basically serve as the credibility for why someone should buy Disney merch. Yep. Like think about it. Think about it. People still buy snow white merchandise today. And that movie came out in the sixties or fifties, thirties, forties. I don't know. So there's a, a jewelry, <laughs> there's a, a jewelry um, crafter 30s. who made, I don't know the name of the jewelry crafter, but you can find it if you look for it. They made an Elsa doll, um, an Anna and Elsa doll from Frozen that are, uh, retail price is $3,200. Oh, 
<laughs> and the reason oh, why no. the reason why they made that was because small dolls, right? We're not talking like full size. Yeah, but they were like made. They had like diamonds and rubies and shit like mm -hmm. inside okay. of them right. or whatever. Um, sure. But the reason that they made that and because and why it was like a good choice for them to make it was because when the first Frozen came out, Disney thought it was going to flop. So they didn't make any uh, Frozen merchandise. They basically made like some stuff, but not a lot. And because of that, the supply and demand for frozen toys was so exponential that people were selling like $20 Elsa dolls on eBay for $1,000 and people were fucking buying it. Like mm -hmm. as soon as it hit, people would buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. And Disney wow. saw that and was like, for this one, we're going to sell everything and it's going to oh, yeah. be expensive. They really did. And they did. It yeah. seems like a, it's a self-sustaining cycle is what Disney has going on right now. Because they got, they got the merchandise. You buy the merchandise. You give them money. They use the money to make a movie. And then you buy the merchandise for that movie. And then, <laughs> yeah. do I need to go on? And then they go to the parks and they build parks and attractions to get people in. <laughs> and then you buy the food and the merchandise and it's triple the price. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's all just made. a game. It's capitalism is what it is. Oh, yeah. Well, for sure. Money. I think that marks our hour, our hour point, and we've set our, our finals on, on this topic. Michael, you did an excellent mm -hmm. job. Um, Thank you. Honestly, I'm surprised we made it an entire year without talking about the Disney Renaissance, but man, what a, <laughs> what a grab. Um, I actually started making a list of topics, and I think I have the rest of the year planned for me now, which is cool. Awesome. That's a good feeling. You're inspired. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... So I want to I want to take a second before we kind of throw it to our promotional spots and to um, Nick's movie review in preparation for next week when uh, Nick Wolf is coming back onto the podcast. You guys know him from our Disney versus Universal two part episode. He represented Universal Studios. Um, he no longer works for Universal, but he does know a thing or two about movies. And he's going to talk to us next week on our guest spot about um, Nick is going to come in and he's going to talk to us about how. Uh, movie festivals such as Sundance have adjusted to the worldwide Panda Express. Um, yep. I want to also talk right now, guys, let's talk about the scene snobs network. It is the network of shows that we have been so graciously welcomed into. Um, they're, they've been so kind to us um, and been, been so nice in reaching out and helping us with some stuff. Uh, I love them. I think, mm -hmm. I, I think it's fair to say that, that we all love them. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and shout out some of the shows that you'll find on the network. But while I'm pulling up the list of shows, uh, if you guys are interested at all in the Scene Snobs network of podcasts and the shows that they do, I know that the Scene Snobs podcast itself brought on the director of Willie's Wonderland to talk to them uh, recently. That is a new movie starring Nick Cage, where he plays basically the overnight watchman from Five Nights at Freddy's. And it's a horror movie that involves animatronics oh, yeah. and fighting. And, yeah, you know what I'm talking okay. about. The director of that movie recently was on Scene Snobs. So How about that. Uh, so that's that's just one example of the level of talent that they are bringing in on their guest stars and who they're helping us get. OK, we got the Scene Snobs. Uh, Banger. Pod oh god. <laughs> the scene snobs podcast. Uh the showcase, the scene, the scene snobs, uh or the sorry, the sports snobs, uh pulling focus, behind the box, crossing the streams, the guapo show, the three geeks podcast, who uh the three geeks were the ones who referred to us during our live stream event as um 
Harry Styles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and the dude from Big Bang Theory. Okay. <laughs> which is fair. Um, Fun. The PVD cast, the fandom effect, uh, a marriage like... Uh, a marriage like that podcast, the scene snobs reviews, Matt Talk... Uh, the ear hustling podcast, carpool shenanigans, twitching upstream, talking upstream, and of course, your boys over at Entertain This are also Entertain now featured this. on <laughs> that beautiful website. You guys can go check that out. Uh, I also want to take a second to before we jump over to talk about um, our new YouTube channel that's up now. Uh, we have an official YouTube channel. We've actually had it for a while. We have a couple of the older episodes on there. But starting now that we're doing video uh, podcasts, I am uploading every episode of our podcast to the YouTube channel on the day that they release. So every Friday that we have a uh, a audio version of the podcast go out to all of our audio podcast providers you guys can also head to our youtube channel in case you want to watch the visual gags that we keep referring to and hopefully we'll stop doing <laughs> soon because they are not fair to the people who just listen to our podcasts but you guys can see our faces see our expressions and see the weird things that we do with our faces when we're not talking and trust me there's a lot of it um with all that out of the way let's go ahead and throw it uh to our promotional slash nick review section and when we get back we will be doing a quick this and i think nick you're doing it right me yeah yeah, yeah sure We're doing the other it. nick yeah. all right well we'll do that now be right back okay Justin Wallace, Mitch Glasgow, and Deanna Cosby. Three daily commuters are joining forces to create the comedy podcast known as Carpool Shenanigans. Each week we'll take a topic, tell a story, and hopefully make your drive to work just a little less shitty. Now the episode's about to begin, so we ask that you sit back, relax, and of course, let's get weird. podcast listeners and fans of entertain this this is nick the other nick back with another review with the final review in my sundance film festival 2021 odyssey uh for the past week or so multiple weeks as a matter of fact i've been taking you guys through many bite-sized reviews of a number of films that i saw at the sundance film festival 2021 and we're going to round out this little uh mini series here with a film called Violation, and Violation reads as follows, per the synopsis. A troubled woman on the edge of divorce returns home to her younger sister after years apart, but when her sister and brother-in-law betray her trust, she embarks on a vicious crusade of revenge. This film comes to us from writer-director duo Dusty Mancinelli and Madeline Sims-Fewer. I believe I pronounced both their names right. I hope I did. Uh, Madeline, Madeline, I believe, 
Sims Fewer, she actually is the star of the film as well. She is the troubled woman, the titular troubled woman. And if you can kind of guess what the subject matter of this film may be based on the title and the synopsis alone, uh, you would probably guess correctly if you're thinking that this movie will deal with uh, sexual assault. And it does. This is a uh, uncompromising, very uh, kind of hard to watch at, at points, um, uncomfortable, bleak film with a powerful, a powerfully anchored uh, lead performance from uh, Madeline Sims Fewer. Uh, she, I've never heard of her before. This is my first uh, time seeing her. And if you'll recall in a previous re review I did for The Blazing World, uh, I had a bit of uh, qualms with the uh, actress who was also the director of that film uh, doing both roles, basically. And I felt that she was more assured behind the camera than she was in front of it. Uh, that is not the case here. I think uh, Madeline Sims Fewer is capable uh, behind the camera alongside Dusty Manson Mancinella. Mancinelli, my apologies. Uh, I think she's very good in both roles. Uh, she's incredible in this movie and she gets put through the ringer um not in in a way that you would expect not like something like you know uh 2013's evil dead remake you know the character of mia is put through so much shit in that movie this a lot of this uh aside from one scene in particular is a lot of internal just emotional just trauma and physical trauma just manifesting itself under under the surface and it's in the eyes and it's in the, the way that she walks and the way that she doesn't talk and just, it's expertly conveyed uh this is a really terrific performance and uh it it's a movie that is solely based on a particular incident that occurs and how the character deals with it after the fact, uh, emotionally as well as physically in the sense of what she does to exact revenge in that manner. Uh, this is a very tab, I don't want to say taboo, but it's a very difficult subject matter um, as it's very, unfortunately, very uh, a prominent issue um, and has been for quite some time. And it is a it's it's difficult, you know. Uh, a previous movie recently that came out that kind of tapped into this uh, subject matter was Promising Young Woman. Uh, and I think both of these movies really, whether or not the hero, uh, the, the character succeeds in their exact of revenge, whether by primal uh, means or by means of uh, justice, right? That the, the, the uh, person that assaulted them gets put in jail and all that jazz. It's regardless of how the outcome is, whether they succeed in their plan or, or not, it, they never fully, there's still that part of them that is like gone, right? But it's it's their power of even despite that moving forward and not letting that control them or define them. And this movie uh has it's it's really methodical it's it's very assured it's very in its own realm so to speak in the sense that it doesn't go many places it stays 
fairly stationary in one location for the most part. Um, and you just kind of live in this world with these characters over the course of a few days as the film takes place. And it's, it's a really hard watch, but I think it is, I think it's fairly rewarding when you get to the end of it. I, I, I had a really oddly enough, good time watching this. Um, there is a, a bunch of, well, a, an extended sequence of full frontal, um, male nudity, which is interesting to see, rare to see, I feel, in a, a, a feature like this. Um, and yeah, there's some stuff that even made me squirm in my seat just because of how like real it felt. Uh, this film, I believe, w has been picked up by the streaming service Shudder and should be debuting very soon. So whether you watch it on Shudder or seek it out elsewhere, if you think that you can handle this movie, um, I would strongly recommend it because it is a very well-directed film and the performances all across the board are really great, especially Madeline Sims Fewer. She is terrific in this movie. And if nothing else, watching her just go off is truly remarkable. So I would definitely recommend this movie if this sounds like something that you could handle and that you're into. So I think that's it. I think that'll that'll round us up. I think we're done here. So thank you all for listening to all of my little reviews over the course of the past few weeks. And uh, yeah, if you like any of that stuff, we'll keep listening to entertain this. They're, they're a bunch of cool guys. And uh, maybe I'll be on there sometime again. So thank you guys. I'll see you later. Hey, we're back. Uh, you guys just heard a promotion from uh, Carpool Shenanigans, who so graciously offered to play our very excellent promotion on their <laughs> show. So, in return, we have uh, we we've we've done uh, in like to play theirs on ours. Uh, if you guys haven't heard our promotion yet, it's pretty kick-ass, if I'm being honest. We, we, th <laughs> we definitely it, a lot of fun to do. We threw it, it fun, together yeah. in a call real quick. We recorded it all the way we record the podcast. It was a lot of fun. It came together really well, uh, and I really love it. I think, is it up on the on the channel right now, too, on like Spotify and all yeah. that? So if you guys find our trailer on Spotify, you can listen to it there, but it's a lot of fun. We were goofing around and doing that. It was it's the official trailer. It's the official trailer because our mm. first trailer was poo poo garbage, and I made it like when we were two <laughs> weeks. We were like, well, we were like, like three it. weeks into the podcast, so I took some clips from us doing the podcast and made a little trailer for us. But I feel like this one is definitely higher quality and more of a group effort. So, yeah, yeah you definitely get much more of a feel for us as people. <laughs> I agree. It's pretty <laughs> hype. It's pretty oh, hype, yeah. isn't it, guys? Right. There's a visual gag again. <laughs> no, nobody would have known if you hadn't said anything. Oh, you just keep flashing things? Yeah, sometimes. Like, buy Pepsi, buy Pepsi. <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Hey, do you want to do a quick this for us, and then we'll wrap it up for the week? Uh, I could, but I'm going to need a timer real quick. I'll get you a timer then. I'm going to need a quick this, quick timer, if you could... Uh, so so kindly grace me with that. Please don't say so kindly out. after talking about Bioshock 1 and yeah. 2 because now it hey, gives kindly... me an ulcer. Yeah, I feel like I shouldn't do it now just 
specifically to make sure I'm not being brainwashed. Well, you're going to prove you have three will. Ready? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Set. Uh, I missed. Oh, he's going to hit the button. Uh, gonna hit got the button. it. <gasps> okay. <laughs> if you can recall, back to the episode about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know that I don't shy away from talking about quote-unquote kids' shows. And it is often within these shows that are made for kids that we can see the wider lessons on life and the world around us. Often this is set as a benchmark for what makes good children's television, the educational aspect coupled with the entertainment value. One show that seems to have tilted the scales towards the entertaining children goes by the name of Pee-wee's Playhouse. Oh, shit. Is that what we're talking about today? Oh, my God. (laughs) If we... If we use one of my beloved food metaphors, we can compare this show directly to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhoods. So while Mr. Rogers might be considered a slice of whole wheat bread, high in nutritional value and wholesome, Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse is a sugary cereal that leaves you hungry two hours later. You still get a little nourishment out of it, but it ain't the best for you long term. And this is a show that is undoubtedly beloved by Little Nick, and I watched it for the sheer absurdity of it all. And it's in this whole mid-2000s lull random before it was cool. And I'd argue that we even have this show to blame for certain people, certain kids displaying ADHD symptoms, myself included. <laughs> I'm not saying I blame Pee Herman for that, I'm just saying. In case you didn't believe me just yet, let me lay out a typical progression of the show. Because kids do be liking that repetition, though. The premise of the show, which started in 1986, after Pee Wee's Big Adventure released in 1985, is the host Pee Wee Herman, he plays in this uh, playhouse in Puppetland. The house is filled with toys, gadgets, talking furniture, and appliances such as the magic screen and Cherry. Puppet characters such as Conky the Robot, Petri uh, the Bailey Pterodon, Jambi, are all, you know, they're all around. They're in the playhouse. They're visited by um, also a regular cast of human characters, including Miss Yvonne, Reba the Mail Lady, Captain Carl, Cowboy Curtis, otherwise known as Morpheus, and a small group of children, the Playhouse Gang. So this is not to be confused with the Pee Wee Herman show from 1981, which premiered on HBO, which happened after Pee Wee Herman character auditioned to be on SNL, and a callback to that episode, by the way. Paul Rubens, the actor who plays Pee Wee Herman, auditioned for Saturday Night Live for the 1980-1981 season, but Gilbert Godfrey got the show instead, got the job instead. So Rubens was so angry about this and so bitter that he decided he would borrow money and start his own show in Los Angeles using the character he had been developing for the last few years, Pee Wee Herman. So this show has many running gags, themes, and devices. Each episode contained a running gag particular to that episode or a specific event or dilemma that sends Pee Wee into an emotional frenzy. He's almost playing this character that's like a five-year-old, but he's, he's a man and he's also dressed up in a tuxedo. And he it's goes to adult theaters sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get. To, maybe I won't. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, where did I leave off? Da, 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 da. At the beginning of each episode, viewers are told that the day's secret word issued by Conky the robot and is instructed to scream really loud whenever the character says that word. Nick, top of your head, what's today's secret word? I don't know. What word did we say a lot? What? Probably banger. Probably banger. Ah! Who <laughs> said the word of the day? <laughs> I need you to edit in that scream every time that we've said banger. Oh my god. No. <laughs> that is way too much work. 
But uh, originally, as you know, uh, as we have alluded to, um, Pee Wee, he got caught doing some things in the movie theater. This is crack. <laughs> <laughs> this is crack. This, this is crack. <laughs> so we had a little incident in an adult movie theater, right? Which used to be a thing, I guess, before the internet. But he was um, self-pleasuring himself. And that's, you know, but like, what do you think people are going to do in an adult movie theater? (laughs) This is like, I get it. You shouldn't show your thing in public. But like, if there was a place where you could show it, it'd be an adult movie theater, right? (laughs) I think the whole idea is like you watch it. You store the images in the back of your brain and they the use it for later. Bank, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. But he was mm-hmm. on crack, so he probably didn't have, like... <laughs> he probably wasn't on crack. I think that was, like, a community service thing he had to do because of this. Yes, but uh, CBS and Rubens, even before his little incident, ended the show in the 1990 to 1991 season. So there you have it. It's the rise and demise of Pee-wee. Netflix has revived his career with a film called Pee-wee's Big Holiday, and I think it's worth a watch, if not for the nostalgia of it all. So go entertain that. And thank you for entertaining this. You know what uh, show I watched, or or where I watched Pee Wee Herman? <laughs> where? Adult Swim. Nice. <laughs> it showed every night on Adult Swim. Yeah. Like, that was the first show that played on Adult Swim was Pee Wee's Playhouse. Seriously? I would always think, like, why is this on Adult Swim? I know why. <laughs> two and two together. Yeah. For go. me, for me, I had uh, a single VHS that my parents recorded that was... First, Space Jam, and then Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And (laughs) they used to bungee cord a small tube TV to the center console in the car. And on a road trip up to my grandparents' house was perfectly timed that we would start that VHS, leaving our driveway, and it would end immediately upon us pulling into my grandparents' driveway. That's incredible. I watched Pee-wee's Big Adventure... I think more than 30 or 40 times in my life now at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's a banger. Mm-hmm. Ah! <laughs> we still doing the screams? Uh. Yeah, it's a sore of the day now. We're stuck with it. That's a bit. I'm done. All right, well, that's it for cool. the quick this. So he's done. Um, as, you guys, as you guys know, we're entertained this. Uh, we release new episodes every Friday, both... Uh, on every podcasting place that you can think of, we've now been approved to, including iHeartRadio, which I hear is pretty hard, but we made it on. Um, as well as the Scene Snobs Network, we are live every week at 7.30. Thank you to Behind the Bits for having us on. He is a mm-hmm. uh, he is a Twitch talk show that so graciously invited all three of us numbskulls on two weeks in advance, <laughs> so we really should have said something about it, but we didn't. Um, thanks guys furthermore if you guys have anything that you want to uh, hear us talk about here on the show something that we haven't talked about already that you guys want us to look into go ahead and send us suggestions for things that we could talk about Um, you can send us it on our twitter we are entertain underscore this on our instagram we are entertain this podcast Um, we have a facebook group where we're podcast entertain this if you look it up you'll find our facebook group and you can send messages there uh or you can email us at uh entertain this podcast at gmail.com entertain Mm -hmm. us so we can entertain you and you can entertain this see you next friday because this show's a banger Ah! Ah! (laughs) (laughs) see you guys (laughs) 
This episode of Entertain This was written by Michael Savoya, with additional commentary from Nick Mustakangas and Alex Steele. Our theme music is Rushable by Aaron Spencer, with interstitial music by DJW. Special thanks once again to Nick Wolf for his intermission movie review. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening. <laughs>